Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back the Keto Savage himself, Robert Sykes. I'm not really worried about people having a lot of protein as long as, I mean, if, if you're not eating any carbohydrates or very minimal carbohydrates and you feel great and you're eating ample dietary fat and quite a bit of protein, then it's not like your, your, your ketones may be a little bit lower, like your circulating ketones may be a little bit lower, your glucose may be a little higher. But if you're not eating carbohydrates and you feel great, you're obviously functioning on fat and ketones. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today and spending part of your day with me. Today, we welcome back my good friend, Robert Sykes, who's a natural keto bodybuilder. He's been on the podcast before where he shared his story of being a binge eater and the struggles he had with his health. And we talked about building muscle on keto. That's so important. We're going to talk more about that today. But if you want to listen to the previous episode we had with him after this one, that is episode 227, which we will reference in the notes down below with the link to listen to after this episode. Today's episode was a fun episode, diving deep into his brand new book, titled Ketogenic Bodybuilding, a Natural Athlete's Guide to Competitive Savagery. Now, even if you don't want to be a bodybuilder and put on an extraordinary amount of size and muscle, you're still going to get value from this conversation. And I asked them that. Will somebody get value from a conversation regarding this, even if you're not looking to become a bodybuilder like myself? And the answer is yes, because muscle is a longevity organ. The more muscle you have, the more flexibility you have with your nutrition, the more carbohydrates you can have and still stay in ketosis, the better you feel, the more fat you burn, and the longer you live as well. So we get into protein and why so many people undereat, especially women undereat protein and the general recommendations for how much protein you should have each day, why the number on the scale is a metric, but not the most important metric, and what are some other things to pay attention to to see if your approach is working for you how to take those measurements, the pros and cons of different ones and regarding body fat, and much, much more. We talk a little bit about stearic acid. We talk about his product, Keto Brick. And if you haven't gotten a Keto Brick before, it is a well-formulated, high-quality of ingredients product that has the proper ratios of fat to protein to carbs for keto. And it's terrific. I, I love the product, Keto Brick. Not only does it taste good and it has high quality ingredients, but I always take it with me when I'm traveling, on the go, or if I'm just kind of crammed with time and I don't have enough time to, I'm not making enough time to make a meal, I'll have a Keto Brick. 
we talk about that product and some of the flavors and the formulation and what went on behind the thought process of creating this product. And you could get the keto bricks over at his um, the link in the podcast notes down below. Go buy some keto bricks after you hear this episode. And we get into some cool things. I, I did some rapid fire with him regarding the best movements in the gym that give you the biggest bang for your buck. I, I list two movements and he'll give me an explanation, rapid fire on which one he prefers. So you'll hear about like burpees versus push-ups or squats versus leg extensions, curls versus pull-ups, etc. And he'll give his favorite methods to get the biggest bang for your buck in the gym so you're not spending a ton of time, but you're still putting on some lean muscle, which is very, very important. Before I bring him on the show for an awesome conversation, I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Tipix, titled, Wow, what an awesome podcast. I listened to you on the Resetter podcast, love Dr. Mindy, and had to go find you on Keto Camp immediately. Your energy, excitement, and enthusiasm are so inspiring, not to mention your vast knowledge about ketosis and the ketogenic diet, flexing, etc., and all the tips and tricks. Your content is so powerful, it's changed mine and my family's lives. Thank you. Thank you. That is amazing. I love Dr. Mindy Pels. She's a colleague of mine. We work together and she has an amazing podcast titled The Resetter Podcast. Everybody go subscribe to it. I'm so glad you heard me on her podcast and you started listening. Thank you so much for the kind words. I'm glad it's changing your life and your family's lives as well. That is so inspirational. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast you're listening from, please do so right now. It really helps. And maybe I'll be reading your review on the next episode. Okay, let's talk about the importance of lean muscle with Robert Sykes. Robert Sykes is a natural ketogenic bodybuilder, author and entrepreneur, as well as the CEO and founder of Keto Savage, a health and fitness company that offers coaching, training, and nutrition for athletes and bodybuilders. He is also the CEO and founder of Keto Brick, a company that produces ketogenic meal replacement bars for efficient nutrition with the highest quality ingredients. Sykes holds first in-class titles from his bodybuilding competitions within the OCB and WNBF federations and lives in Northwest Arkansas with his wife, Crystal. Ketogenic bodybuilding is the culmination of all he has learned through his bodybuilding endeavors and client coaching practice. Here is Robert Sykes. Robert Sykes, brother, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're reunited. It's been over a year since you last came on. It was actually episode 227, where we talked specifically on uh, how to build muscle on keto. We also talked about your backstory and some of the struggles you had and how you overcame a lot of your issues. And you are very determined, brilliant, positive man. Robert's wearing a shirt that says Faith Over Fear, which is going to be a shirt that's going to be available to purchase in the near future. So I just love that you always bring the positivity in the abundance out there. So my first question off the bat, before we get into your new book, have you always been that way? Like when you struggled with binge eating and, and some of the challenges you had, were you more on the negative side? And if you were on the negative side, what did you do to overcome that and now become more of a positive human being? That's a good question, man. Like I've definitely not always been positive. I feel like I've always known about the importance of being positive. But I mean, shoot, even to this day, like there's things that get me down and get me depressed. And and I, I'm able to go into a dark spot in my life if I let it. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, I just know that there's no good that comes from that. So I try and really actively stay positive and certainly let people see me in a positive light and be positive to others because not doing so is just not conducive to any growth for anybody. But yeah, I mean, I feel like having my nutrition dialed in certainly helps me be positive. And when I was struggling with disordered eating tendencies, that was a sap on my existence. So that was hard. Um, building a business has taken me into some pretty dark places. But at the end of the day, I'm very, very fortunate, very blessed. And I feel like it's easy for me to be able to fixate on what I'm happy and blessed with. So it's easier to be positive. Yeah, well said. So what do you do? And what I'm hearing is that when you find yourself in a negative place, whether it's depression or just kind of like stinking thinking, the gap is much smaller, meaning you'll you'll be there for a couple of hours versus a couple of days and weeks like before. So is there something you do? Do you just keep your eye on the prize? Do you shift back to like your why and why you're doing this? Is there anything you specifically do to get yourself out of that place? Um, when it was just me, like when it was when I was working for corporate America, and I was you know, in disordered eating tendencies, and I didn't have crystal, and it was just just me, I didn't have an audience and have a community, it was easier to stay there longer, because I was able to just wallow in my own depression without really impacting anybody else. Now, I've got crystal that depends on me, I've got employees that depend on me, I've got the community that that's helped me build the business that I have, and they depend on me. So now I just have so many people that rely on me to be a light and be a sense of positivity that I owe it to them to not take time to wallow in my depression. So no good comes from it. So it's easier to bounce back out of it with that, you know, top of mind. Yeah. And now you have a new baby as well to think of. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a fire for sure. <laughs> so you uh, recently wrote a new book. It just came out last month, January, 2022. It's, it's um, Ketogenic Bodybuilding, a Natural Athlete's Guide to Competitive Savagery. <laughs> I love that word, savagery. So why did you write the book, Robert? And then let's get into some of the main principles in the book. So why'd you write it? Yeah, so I started writing the book in 2019, November 2019, when I started doing my last competition prep. And I'd known for a while that I wanted to write this book. This is technically my second book, but the first one was kind of a joke. Uh, this one is legit. And Why was it a joke? What do you mean? Uh, so the first one I wrote in 2016, and I, I launched that book right when I launched ketosavage.com and my my brand. And I was just expecting it to be like this thing that took over the world by storm. Um, but I had no audience and didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I wrote the book in two months. Uh, and I was like reading a bunch of, you know, self-help guides and build business quickly online, you know, blogs and stuff to do that. And it was good. Like it was good high level content about keto, but uh, I just learned so, so much since then. So this book has taken me two years to write and it's basically a culmination of all I've learned in the past seven years. So it's just a much deeper, more intensive book that's going to be a much better resource for people that are wanting to improve their composition via a ketogenic diet. Uh, so I'm, I'm much more proud of this book. I don't even talk about the other book. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. I get that. I, I, but I, I, I love that you wrote the book in the first place. I mean, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, anybody who wants to be successful in business, I believe speed of implementation is where it's at because you did it in two months, that first book. And although it wasn't the best book and it didn't do as well as it sounds like as you'd like, you still learn from it. And now learning from that, getting that into the market, now building your brand, building a big following. Now you understand what are the do's and don'ts. So now two years later or two years after you started writing this next book, you have this book, which uh, you feel really proud about and it's helping a lot of lives. So what are the principles in the book? I know that it's for bodybuilders, but let's say somebody listening right now, male or female, they don't really want to do bodybuilding, but they know how important it is to build muscle and longevity. 
would they get value from this book? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the book is written in the language of bodybuilders, like natural bodybuilders. So I, I talk about how to peak for a show day, how to put on the tanning solution, how to make the proper poses, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, like the concepts, like when I'm working with clients, the concepts I use for my competitive athlete clients are the exact same concepts I use for just the general population that just want to get leaner. So taking, you know, just anybody that wants to improve their composition with the ketogenic approach can go through the phases of the book and be much better off for it than had they not. So definitely not specific to just competitors. So when it comes to the nutrition for building muscle, there's an emphasis on protein that you talk about. I know that your general recommendation has been one pound for every lean pound of body weight as the, like the starting point, right? So somebody who's a woman, 35 years old, male, 35, 45 years old, I would say eight out of 10 American adults, men and women are under eating protein. Have you seen that to be the case as well? Not just bodybuilders, but just not a regular person are under eating protein. Have you seen that? Yeah, for sure, man. Like it's, um, it's interesting. Like I always view things in the, in the sense of like being in a building phase or being in the cutting phase. Like the book is mostly about being in a cutting phase, but you're not really going to maximize muscle growth potential if you're in a caloric deficit, whereas you would ideally if you're in a caloric surplus. And when you're in a caloric surplus, trying to prioritize building more lean muscle tissue, you have to make sure you're eating enough total calories and enough total protein. So, you know, a good way to play it safe is that one gram per pound of lean mass. That's a pretty good catch off for most people. But yeah, man, there's so many people that are just under consuming calories in general. And then with that, also under consuming protein. So making sure that if you're trying to build muscle that you're eating enough is going to be key. So here's the challenge that I get a lot. Uh, a lot of questions come up on my YouTube channel. Ben, I'm doing OMAD and you're saying to increase my protein, how do I get 115 grams of protein in one meal? What would you <laughs> advise that person? How could they go about doing that? If they're trying to build more muscle, then they might not benefit from doing an OMAD approach. Like I'm all for OMAD. I do OMAD when I'm in a deficit and my calories are low enough so that it makes sense to do OMAD. But when I'm in a building phase, I'm typically eating two or three meals a day simply so I can get enough calories and enough protein in. Otherwise, it just becomes you know, unenjoyable. Like if I'm like right now, I'm in a building phase and I'm eating about 3000 calories a day and about 180 to 220 grams of protein. If I was trying to fit all that in one meal, I'd feel miserable yeah. you know, around that meal. So I break it up into multiple meals, two or three. And how do you personally track your, your macros and calories? Uh, so I use an app called My Macros Plus. That's just the one that I've always used. I mean, any of them do about the same thing. So as long as you've got one that you're familiar with, you, you know how to use, you enjoy using, that's the main thing. I don't track as much when I'm in a surplus because, you know, I, I try and I'm, I track in everything as, as detailed oriented as it gets when I'm in a competition prep. So by being in a surplus and kind of, you know, loosening the reins a little bit, so to speak, and having a little bit more flexibility with regards to, you know, what the accuracy of my macros are, as long as I'm eating enough, and not under-consuming protein and calories in the building phase, I'm a little bit more lax about tracking in the off-season. Got it. Yeah, and your advice is spot on about OMAD. I love it too, but we don't want to do OMAD all the time. It's going to be too catabolic. And maybe somebody who's obese and overweight could do more OMAD. They need, need to be more in the cutting phase. But we want to balance it out, like you said, with having a caloric surplus and a protein surplus as well. So there has to be some sort of balance there. So at that point, you wouldn't do OMAD. You would split it up, like Robert's saying, between two and three meals. You could also have like protein shakes. Things are easy, easier to digest because some people have just a hard time eating enough like 
uh, whole food protein, like animal source, source protein. So maybe a good, uh, and you could tell me if you agree, a good supplement could be some protein shakes to get that protein requirement. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, totally. But at the end of the day, like if you're eating two or three meals a day and you're getting a lot of animal-based protein, you probably are not going to need protein shakes. I mean, I haven't had a protein shake in ages, man. Like when I was doing the bro diets and flexible dieting, I was eating protein shakes. Of course. Style. <laughs> now, no, I mean, I hardly ever do protein shakes. I just have, you know, two or three meals a day. And then that pretty much covers all my protein intake needs. You said animal-based protein. And I know there's a difference between plant-based and animal-based, but I'd like for you to describe the difference between those two. Yeah. So, I mean, animal-based is just going to be more bioavailable. That's got a better amino acid profile. You can do a vegan-based approach and succeed as a bodybuilder, but you're going to have to supplement more. You're going to have to be just more intensive and make sure you're getting everything covered on your bases. For me, I, I eat a lot of meat. I don't have any issues with it. Uh, and it, it kind of streamlines and simplifies my meal prep. Uh, so I prefer it. Uh, so if someone's, unless someone's a vegan or vegetarian, they're probably going to want to prioritize the animal-based proteins. Agreed. So as a bodybuilder, as you're prepping for different competitions and you're dropping to like, I heard you say 5% body fat, which is very, very low. What's the biggest challenge for you during the prep and then throughout the whole competition for bodybuilding? What's the number one biggest challenge that you might experience? Yeah. So I mean, it's all mindset, man. Like it's all like bodybuilding is the quintessential, you know, definition of consistency and discipline. So having food in abundance all around you, having people that are going out and, and splurging and then maintaining the course, staying disciplined with your intake, staying disciplined with your training. That's the hard part. Uh, I mean, going really hard in the gym one day is not that hard. Going really hard on your macros and hitting them perfectly one day is not that hard. Doing it every single day for six months at a time without fail is hard. So just being consistent first and foremost and having the right mindset and remembering your why you, you know, so that you can carry through that six month span is the important part. But once you kind of become a machine, like that's what I do when I, when I, do a competition prep, I flip the switch and I don't deviate from the plan at all. Uh, because as soon as you deviate once, it's easier to deviate twice, three mm -hmm. times. Uh, so having that kind of, you know, locked in mindset is the hard part, but that's the beauty of it. So what do you do if you're, you know, you have that locked in mindset, you're prepping for your competition and you have a wedding or a dinner party or an event, do you bring your own food to make sure you're tracking everything? Like, what do you specifically do in that situation? Yeah, I bring all my own food. You don't have to. I mean, I know lots of people that kind of are a lot more fast and loose with it and they still look great. But for me, I like to know that I gave it my all, didn't cut any corners. That way I can step off stage regardless of the placing. Even if I didn't win, I can step off stage knowing that, hey, I gave it my all, I didn't, take, I didn't leave anything to chance. And for me, it's worth sacrificing that flexibility with regard to you know, the, the foods that I'm eating and just you know, the spontaneous meals throughout the prep and doing that, you know, detailed tracking and bringing my own foods. And honestly, like once you get in the habit of meal prepping and eating pretty consistently over the course of your prep, like it removes so much decision fatigue, like the amount of time people spend thinking about what they're going to cook, how they're going to cook it, where they're going to eat, like that frees up so much mental bandwidth to be so much more productive in other areas of your life. So I actually kind of prefer doing that for a good six months out of the year. Yeah, that's a good point. When I do carnivore, that's the way I feel. It's like, I know I could eat meat and that's it. I don't have to think about anything else. The reason I asked you that question about do you bring your own food is because I have a, a good friend of mine. He's kind of like my protege, but he's now, he's all grown up. He's an adult, but I've known him since he was a kid, but now he's into bodybuilding and he's doing these competitions. His name is Giancarlo Anzalotti. He's known as GC3 Fitness on YouTube. And I was having a dinner party here and he was prepping for a competition. This is last summer. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to go, but do you mind if I you know, bring my own 
food and, and Tupperware. I'm like, that's fine, dude. I get it. So he brought his food and he like he tracked it. So I, I love it. I, I love the commitment. I admire it. And I imagine though, there's probably people in your life who who don't see that it's such a, an amazing commitment. They may make comments. Has that happened to you? Like, what are you doing? Just enjoy yourself. Do you get that sometimes? Oh, for sure. Especially when I first started because I wasn't really proven as a bodybuilder. So people mm. didn't really understand what it was I was doing. Now that it's pretty much my business, my livelihood, my career, like they're a lot more understanding of it. Uh, but yeah, when I first started, like I got all kinds of looks. Even to this day, I'll go to like Thanksgiving. Like last year or in 2019, I was prepping during Thanksgiving. So I didn't eat any of the meals that people were having for the holidays. They're kind of more understanding because they've seen me do this more than once now. But I still get comments that suggest, you know, hey, it's it's once once this holiday, you know, go ahead and indulge a little bit. And it's a strange argument because in my opinion, like if if your relationship with your significant others, like your family and your friends is predicated on the food on your plate, it's not really much of a relationship in the first place, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. it should never revolve around the food that around the dinner table. Like when I'm eating my prepped meals at Thanksgiving, for instance, I can focus on the people I'm speaking with and and communicating with. And it's, it's just a deeper level of intimacy that I feel is far and above what it would be if I was just fixating on a pecan pie in front of me. Yeah, it's such an important thing you just said there. You know, it, it, you're right. It's it's our relationships with our friends and family is much more than eating ice cream with them or a pecan pie. If you choose to do that, it's fine. It's your choice. But that shouldn't be the connection you have with friends and family. I've noticed a lot of people have issues with Caffeine, especially caffeine in coffee. Now, don't get me wrong. I love myself a cup of quality coffee, but the truth is I've seen so many of my Keto Camp Academy students have a glucose spike from caffeine, knocking them out of fasting or creating some digestive issues, bloating, and most commonly, jitters and irritability. We know excessive caffeine and caffeine sensitivity can cause adrenal problems, which has a lot of negative effects It makes you more dependent on the caffeine and it puts you in this sympathetic fight or flight state. And for a lot of people, that is problematic. Everyday Dose solves the problem of regular coffee while drastically building on its benefits with added supplements. What I love about Everyday Dose, it's low acidity, cold extracted coffee, and a micro dose of caffeine blended with collagen protein, functional mushrooms, and nootropics which will improve your focus, your energy, and your immunity. I just feel different in a really good way when I have Everyday Dose versus regular coffee. And I want you to experience the same. So if you want to check out Everyday Dose, head over to everydaydose.com slash Ben and use the coupon code KETOCAMP. You're going to get an extra five on the go dose travel pack to take with you anywhere you go. I take these travel packs with me and it is a game changer because when I'm traveling, it's hard to find First of all, a clean cup of coffee, but almost impossible to find coffee with these functional ingredients. So head over to everydaydose.com slash ketocamp. Use ketocamp to get your bonus gift or click the link in the podcast notes down below. The reason I believe it happens, Robert, and I want to hear your thoughts, is when you start changing, you become a threat to people in your life who are not changing. So it's easier for them to say, Robert, just eat the pecan pie with me versus I got to make changes on my own and live a healthier life. So do you see the same thing? It's easier for them to kind of drag you back down to their level of uh, nutrition-wise? Yeah, I think it's a coping mechanism on their part. Like they they feel less than if they're, you know, if they know they're not healthy and they're seeing you be healthy, but they want to be unhealthy in that moment, they're going to feel guilty. And if their coping mechanism for feeling guilty is to make you also do the same thing, that way they're going to feel less guilty. 
and I like it's it's a slippery slope if you try and convince people to live a certain life path or eat a certain way. So I just simply lead by example. And I can confidently say that I'm the healthiest person in my family group at Thanksgiving. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and let them do their thing. <laughs> yeah, you're doing something right. That's for sure. How long have you been doing uh, bodybuilding? I started bodybuilding as a junior in high school. And that would have been, I think, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. And how long has it been uh, as a keto bodybuilder? Uh, I've been keto for the past seven years. So I've wow. actually been doing ketogenic bodybuilding now longer than I have been doing traditional bodybuilding without keto, which is kind of cool. That is super cool, dude. I mean, what are some of the things other bodybuilders say to you or said to you? Like, how can you be a bodybuilder without getting your carbs? Like, what, what are yeah. some of the comments you get? And how do you respond to it? It's weird, man. Like when I first started doing ketogenic dieting, you know, from a bodybuilding standpoint, they didn't think it was possible. And they said, you would never be able to lift hard and heavy. You wouldn't be able to lean out. You can't lean out eating that much fat. Uh, you're not gonna have energy. Uh, and then I did it all. I got my pro card and I looked better than I ever had. And I improved my relationship with food and my hormones stayed much healthier. So that was pretty much convincing in itself. Now the argument against it is that, yeah, but he was bodybuilding for you know six years on carbs beforehand. So all that muscle that he has came from the carbs. And then I found a picture the other day of when I first started keto versus now. And it's like, obviously, I've gained muscle in that time. Like it was black and white difference. Uh, so it's like, I mean, there's going to be haters out there talking, you know, smack all day long. I'm just going to keep on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because I see, I don't spend too much time on social media, but sometimes I'll come across, you know, a dietitian, nutritioner, so even like a fitness pro who is talking about, essential carbohydrates. And I'm like, what? I've never heard of that before. There's no such thing as essential carbohydrates. There's essential fats and proteins, but they're talking about carbo. And this is a video I just saw on TikTok. I forget the person, but carbohydrate. It said it's called car carbohydrate because it hydrates you and it helps you perform better. And I'm just like, what's going on with this person? <laughs> like, Have you yeah. seen silly things like this on, on uh, social media? Oh, for sure. And like, I think... Like the faster study was unique in that it showed this. This was done in long distance runners, but it was one of the first studies that showed uh, athletes that had been adapted for a significant period of time. Whereas most of the studies out there on a ketogenic diet are just for like a couple of weeks, which is not really yeah. an accurate representation. Correct. But this took athletes that had been adapted for months, and it showed that their level of glycogen replenishment was pretty much equal to what it was in their carbohydrate dependent counterparts. And for me, having been keto now for seven years, uh, like I'm doing all these highly glycolytically demanding activities. Like I'm doing the heavy lifting. I'm, I'm, I'm operating in the rep range that most people would say requires carbohydrates. Yet I continue to get pumps, continue to fill out, continue to get stronger. So the argument that you can't have a good solid glycogen reserve without carbohydrates is just not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that study is, is an awesome study. We'll, we'll put the link for that down below. It's the faster study. What about the argument for gluconeogenesis? So this is something that I have ch totally changed my mindset on and approach. Several years ago, I used to say, you know, don't get too much protein because of gluconeogenesis. Now I have changed that. So what about people who say every time I'm, I'm worried that if I get too much protein, because we're rec recommending higher protein, it's going to knock me out of ketosis. What have you seen with that? Yeah. So this is like probably the, like if I had to pinpoint the trickiest, highest hyped conversation within the keto low carb <laughs> that's probably protein consumption. Yes. Um, and I'm oftentimes pegged as the high fat, low protein guy, which I don't know why, because I've never presented myself as such. I'm definitely higher fat in certain times and I'm higher protein in certain times. It all just totally depends on the goal. But when it comes to bodybuilding and body recomposition, I'm not really worried about people having a lot of protein as long as, I mean, if, if you're not eating 
any carbohydrates or very minimal carbohydrates and you feel great and you're eating ample dietary fat and quite a bit of protein, then it's not like your, your, your ketones may be a little bit lower, like your circulating ketones may be a little bit lower, your glucose may be a little higher. But if you're not eating carbohydrates and you feel great, you're obviously functioning on fat and ketones. It's not like you forget how to do that. So that's not really a concern for me. There is an instance in the depth of a deficit where your calories are very low that I'll oftentimes preferentially leave fat higher and decrease protein uh, to help stabilize hormones and just simply give me more energy because protein is not a great substrate for energy. So I'll be very strategic in dropping protein during that finite period of time. But it's not good to leave protein low indefinitely, obviously. So people that are afraid of protein for fear of gluconeogenesis, that's not a worthwhile fear. Agreed. Yeah, well said. What about people who say you need insulin through eating carbohydrates to be more anabolic and putting on muscle? So is insulin anabolic? Yeah. I mean, insulin is kind of like an extreme growth factor. So it causes everything to grow. It causes fat to grow. It causes muscle to grow. It causes cancer cells to grow. I mean, it causes everything to grow. But the idea that you have to have insulin to grow muscle is like exclusively is inaccurate. I mean, if you've got enough calories coming in, enough protein coming in, and you've got enough stimulus in your training, you're going to have muscle protein synthesis and you're going to be able to grow muscle. Um, I mean, I haven't had, like I said, a carbohydrate-based meal in seven years and I've continued to grow muscle in that span. Uh, so I don't have to have insulin to grow. And it's not like I have zero insulin. I mean, your body still has a healthy circulation of insulin independent of carbohydrate consumption. So not too worried about that as long as everything else is in, you know, all the other boxes are checked. So when it comes to those who are following keto and they are fixated on the scale, you know, they want to lose 30 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, and they just keep checking the scale every single day. I always tell them, look, there's so many other important markers, which is your body fat, muscle to fat ratio, other things considered that you talk about a lot. So what are some other factors besides the total number on the scale that we could look at and how do we track that? Yeah, so let's talk about scale weight first of all. I'm not one of the, the types that suggests just throwing away your scale um, because I feel like that's kind of like not fixing the root cause of the issue. I like looking at that metric because it is simply just a data point, but I don't like people looking at their weight on the scale as a good or bad variable. It's just simply a data point. So being able to use that is a worthwhile data point, but it doesn't show the whole picture. I mean, the, your composition is first and foremost the priority. Uh, so what consistency of that weight is muscle versus fat versus water and fluids. So using a scale that measures body composition is going to be better than just a simple scale. Uh, taking pictures and measurements is going to be really good. Taking circumference measurements across like your your waist, your thighs, your arms, your neck, your chest, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then getting like an in-body scan, a bioelectrical impedance scan, a DEXA scan, um, a bod pod, something that measures the actual composition of your body on a somewhat regular basis is going to be incredibly enlightening. The uh, DEXA scan, I believe, is a great, great method, very accurate. It's just kind of a challenge. You have to go to a, a clinic or a place that has the machine. The electrical impedance ones uh, that are sold all over the place. I actually have one myself. How accurate are those, do you think? I mean, what if you had to give it a percentage, like what would you say the percentages of the accuracy of those? The bioelectrical impedance scans are not that accurate. I don't know what percentage I would give it would be. I mean, and they fluctuate tremendously based off of your level of hydration. Yeah, I've seen that myself, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like when I'm in a prep, there'll be times where I'll step on a, uh, an in-body scan and it'll show 3% body fat and then it'll show 10% body fat. So that's a pretty big range. I've noticed that they tend to be even less accurate with females that are above 20% body fat. So there's a lot of inaccuracies there. However, if you're consistently stepping on with as many controlled variables as possible, so 
roughly the same level of hydration, you know, first thing in the morning after you use the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera, that can control for some of those inaccuracies. And then if you're trending, I mean, the main thing is what direction are you trending? I mean, your, your weight is going to go up and down. There's a fluctuation there. Your body fat via an in-body scan is going to go up and down. But if you're trending in the right direction over time, then you can feel confident you're, whatever you're doing is right. Yeah, trends are great to look at. I agree. So would you say out of all the methods we spoke about, DEXA is probably the best one for accuracy? Yeah, DEXA is probably you know, the quote-unquote gold standard from an accuracy standpoint, but I wouldn't recommend doing a DEXA every week because they're expensive and they're inconvenient. Um, so like a DEXA every three months is probably pretty good. When I'm doing a prep, what I like to do is I'll do bi-weekly pictures, bi-weekly measurements, and then I'll do a bi-weekly caliper uh, skin fold test. Like I'll have Crystal, my wife, do like a... I'll use the Jackson Pollock seven-point caliper test. Um, and that's pretty easy and efficient. If you have the same person doing that each time, that's a pretty accurate representation. Yeah, that's the one I used to do when I used to own my CrossFit gym. I used to do the like, same body fat calipers. And I always mm-hmm. said, like, make sure the same coach that did it for you did it the next time and keep the variables the same. Yeah. So I, I, that's that's a very useful tip. And those are very cheap, 20 bucks or less on Amazon. Yeah, super cheap, super easy, super convenient. So you're known as, of course, Keto Savage, Life Savage. Uh, you have your, your podcast, Keto Savage Podcast, uh, which everybody go subscribe to. Uh, you've, you've got like millions and millions of downloads. You've got so many amazing episodes and guests. But you also are known for having a great product called Keto Brick, which is an amazing, easy way to get your macros dialed in on keto, get enough protein, and not even think about what am I going to eat, having something as a substitute, and for traveling. So talk a little bit about why you developed the keto brick, what were some of the challenges, and why you decided to put these specific ingredients in this product? Yeah, so the bricks were never even meant to be a product. This was honestly something that I made for my own personal consumption during my 2017 competition prep, because I simply wanted something to help me hit the macros more efficiently, uh, take the guesswork out of meal prep, and just really be super convenient. And all the when I started doing keto, there was no products on the market at the time. And there was nothing that really fit the ticket for what I was wanting. So I just set out to formulate my own. Um, and then it, like I featured it on a YouTube video as I was documenting this prep. And there seemed to be a lot of interest around it. So Crystal and I just rolled up our sleeves and made it into a, a business. But yeah, the bricks are basically a 1,000 calorie ketogenic shelf-stable meal replacement bar. Depending on the flavor, each one has a roughly about 90 grams of fat, 30 grams of protein, and 8 to 12 to 14 grams of total carbohydrates. And it basically just makes hitting your fat macros much easier. There's not a whole lot of protein per brick. I mean, about 30 grams. But a lot of people have a hard time getting in enough dietary fat. So it really streamlines that process. And the primary source of fat in the bricks is uh, cacao butter. So very high in stearic acid, even more so than like beef suet is, for instance. Like cacao butter is the best source of stearic acid you can get. Um, And there's a whole host of benefits that come with stearic acid. So what are some of those benefits of stearic acid? Yeah, so it, it digests really easily. It's got an 18 carbon bond, so it's much. Um, that's why it's shelf stable. It doesn't melt in your hand like butter would, for instance. So that's what the shelf stability comes from. And then from a digestion standpoint, it doesn't cause near the the GI issues that like MCT oil would, for for instance. If you have a thousand calories worth of MCT oil, it's not going to be good. <laughs> You're going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be pretty. So it digests really good. It's just a long sustained form of energy. And there's been some interesting research. I don't know if you've had. Um, uh, Brad Marshall on the podcast yet, but he's he's moved into steric acid as basically making the the adipocytes themselves more insulin resistant. So we want to be more insulin sensitive on a holistic level, but we want the the adipocytes themselves to be more insulin resistant. So 
he's shown some pretty interesting research about that being the case. I'm, I'm not going to hang my hand on that yet. I'm kind of diving into that as we speak. But uh, I didn't even know this when I made the bricks, when I formulated them. I just wanted everything else that came with it. And then all this other compelling information about it's coming out. So it's a pretty interesting field of study right now. Yeah, it is interesting. I know I've, Dr. Ben Bickman has spoken about that, but um, I'm going to check out Brad Marshall too. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. So the keto brick, here's how I would recommend it for you keto campers. I would recommend it for, especially for those who are new to keto, very easy way to dial in your macros without having to think about it. Just choose uh, one meal per day that you replace that with, or you could split it into two meals and kind of share with other, other meals. I love taking it with me when I'm traveling because when I'm traveling, I mean, first of all, airport food, airplane food is, is nasty. And then when you're traveling, you don't have access to the things you might have in your own city. So I always like to have a backup. I, I like to fast, but I also like to have a backup. So I'll take it with me on the go when I'm traveling. It'd be great to have on a road trip. And then, of course, if you're prepping and bodybuilding, you really dial in your macros by knowing exactly what you're getting. So what are some of the different flavors that you have? I know that you've introduced a few more since I started using it, but what are some of the, the flavors that you have? And what are the most the top-selling flavors as well? We started out doing only vegetable-based protein powders, and there's a lot of people that can't do whey's and, and dairy, so we had those options in the vegetable-based protein powders. And then we've since added a whole bunch of whey concentrates, so grass-fed, grass-finished whey concentrate protein powders. So now we have, I think, seven full-time flavors, the top one being chocolate peanut butter cup, We've got a new flavor coming out um, that only has eight grams of total carbs. So for a thousand calories, eight grams of total carbs, when you look at any other keto product on the market, I mean, I'm, I own a keto product and I'll be the first to tell you that most keto products are just absolute crap and people should always prioritize whole single ingredient foods. But if you're going to eat a keto product, most of them out there are not worth your time. I mean, eight grams total carbs per thousand calories is pretty unheard of. So super proud of that. And uh, yeah, so chocolate peanut butter cup, that we added a seasonal flavor, which was butter, maple, pecan. We got normal peanut butter. We got a mocha. We got cookies and cream. We got coconuts. We got toasted almond coconut. We got we got all kinds of flavors. Yeah, that sounds great. What's the new flavor called? Uh, it's going to be macadamia madness. So all kinds of macadamia madness. I'm a, I'm a big fan of macadamia. I remember um, our mutual friend, Danny Vega. He recently had, had a birthday and he had a, a keto brick with the candle on, on his Instagram. I yeah, was yeah. cracking up. Danny's freaking awesome, man. I love that guy. Yeah, I do too. He's such a he's a great human being. So um, we're going to put a link for keto bricks in the in the podcast notes. Or if you're watching the YouTube in the YouTube notes, 
So go get the keto bricks, try it out. I think you're going to like it. And maybe by the time this episode is released, the new flavor will come out, which is the macadamia madness. But to your point, Robert, you're so right about keto products. And it's unfortunate. You know, the, the cool thing about keto is that everybody knows about keto nowadays. It's, it's very popular. But the upsetting thing is that people are monopolizing on this and companies are making products. And I was recently at a speaking at an event, a keto event where I was doing a lecture end of last year. And there was a whole bunch of vendors there and I'm going around. I want to like support the vendors, but there are just some vendors that I, that I can't because it's just not aligned with, you know, our high standards. So I'll, there was a keto company with keto bread and I'm okay, let's check them out. What, you know, they had gluten in the bread. Yeah. And it's crazy, man. It's like there's there's so many products in which the the dietary total carbohydrates far exceeds the total fat and the total protein combined. And it's like I don't know what crazy math you're doing. That's just not keto. It's the net carbs. As long as you're hitting the net carbs, which is BS, it's keto. But th- there's no regulation on it. There was another company that had these keto um, like pop tarts and, and different things. And I looked at the ingredients, there's like yellow dye, like yellow, you know, red 40. And I'm, I'm thinking, come on, this is not healthy. Maybe it's keto, but it's just not healthy. So that's why I love what you're doing and the thought process and the research that went into keto bricks. I use keto bricks and I'm endorsing it right now. I'm saying go get keto bricks, but I don't do that for so many keto companies out there because they don't unfortunately look at it from a health lens. They look at it from a profit lens. So I love that you do that. And I want to acknowledge you and uh, your your wife, Crystal, as well. Anybody, who, your whole team who helped put this together. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Like, it's it's something I'm super passionate about because, like I said, I, I didn't make the bricks to make a profit. I wouldn't even plan on selling them. They just kind of scratched my own itch when I was prepping. And I feel like, you know, I hate to say it, but as keto's grown, like I started doing keto before it was popular at all. So it was kind of cool because everybody that I met that was doing it then, like we've all kind of hung together through the years. And we've seen things unfold. We've seen the evolution of keto, so to speak. And it's kind of discouraging to see it become bastardized over the years. And all these products flood the market that are just there to make a buck. And it's, it's, it's sad to see, but I guess it kind of comes with the territory of there being so much hype around the diet. But yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I can and you know, associate with other people that are focusing on the quality and the integrity of the, the products, the information they're putting out and just always doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about fitness. You're the fitness guy. You're the one to talk to. So we'll we'll talk about one set of individuals who are sedentary, who are not doing any exercise and what you would suggest they get started with. And then we'll move on to those who are doing exercise but want to maximize their muscle growth and their results at the gym. So first of all, the sedentary group, what is a good way to get started with uh, fitness? Just doing something, doing more than they're doing currently. You know, like progressive overload is simply doing more than you are currently so that your body has reason to adapt to that stimulus. So if you're doing nothing, then simply getting up out of the couch, turning off the Netflix and, and moving is going to be, a, you know, progress in the right direction. A lot of people that come to me having not trained before, I'll typically start them out on like a simple three-day-a-week push-pull leg routine. That way they're hitting all the body parts only three days a week. I mean, that's pretty easy to do for most people. And they can do it with just body weights and resistance bands to start and then kind of scale up from there with more resistance-based uh, you know, exercise machines and free weights and things of that nature. But anything is going to be better than nothing. For people that are already in a, a pretty legitimate regimen, you know, increasing that progressive overload via increased weight, increased frequency, increased time under tension, increased uh, density, like any of that is going to be positive. And then honestly, just making sure they're eating enough and cycling through a building and cutting phase properly. Even 
seasoned veterans in the gym oftentimes don't do what they need to do from a nutritional standpoint. So they'll oftentimes stay chronically dieting or chronically overeating and never really capitalizing on what the opposite phase has to offer. So kind of healthfully transitioning from a building phase to a cutting phase back into a building phase is super, super important. Yeah. Overall, progressive overload is the name of the game. Do you use an app or something to track your stats and how you could measure your progressive overload? I'm the worst about that, man. Because <laughs> I'm such a data guy. But when it comes to training, I've always just preferred to train intuitively. Like I just go to the gym. And I know, I know what I hit last time. So I, I try and best that. And I'm typically only really having a pulse on my primary compound movements. But I am kind of playing around with a few different apps currently. I'm using one right now, which is called My uh, My Macros Plus is my macro one, but they have a companion workout one called My Workouts Plus, I believe. And I'm familiar with the interface, so I'm trying testing that out. But any of them do about the same thing. As long as you're able to see what you trained previously so that you know what to beat, it's a worthwhile app. If somebody's worked out yesterday and they have on their schedule to work out today, but they feel beat up, and they're really sore and they got poor sleep, should they modify and what should they do? Yeah, so I wouldn't really recommend doing the same muscle group, you know, consecutively. So like if they did a killer leg workout on Monday, they don't want to do another killer leg workout on Tuesday. Um, But if they've just started training, they're going to have a week or two of, you know, DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, where they're just going to feel totally wrecked. Um, And honestly, to get through that, the best thing to do is to train through that not to kill yourself, but simply getting in the gym and moving is going to be the best thing to alleviate that pain and kind of keep the momentum going. If you've been a seasoned lifter and you're you're constantly using progressive overload, then they could probably benefit from a deload week. So basically taking a week in which they do the same movements, but decrease the intensity so that they're not taxing their central nervous system near as much, but still getting the blood flow. I try and incorporate that every couple months or so. We're going to do something fun here. I'm going to ask you different exercises. We're going to compare one versus the other. You're going to tell me which one you prefer and why, and we'll go through a few of them, okay? Okay. (laughs) All right. So barbell back squats or leg extensions? Oh, barbell back squats for sure. Why? The reason, I mean, honestly, just more range of motion. It's a a compound movement, so you're going to be activating a lot more. I mean, there's, there's obviously situations where somebody would benefit from a leg extension, but the squats, especially with barbell back squats, like the psychological benefit that comes from stepping underneath that bar, getting in that rack and going ass to grass and going heavy, like that alone is worth its weight in gold. So ass to grass, go as low as possible, you're saying. Keep the chest up, butt down as far as possible? Yeah, yeah. Drop it, drop it low, man. You, you want to go down there low, get that full range of motion. You want to make sure you're being safe. Like you don't want to be rounding your back and having poor form. And I, I'll use knee sleeves and wraps to make sure that my knees are locked in. I've got a belt on especially when I'm going heavy. But yeah, making sure you're getting that full range of motion is key. Curls, dumbbell or barbell curls or pull-ups? Well, it just depends. I mean, pull-ups are going to engage a lot more back than curls. Um, but if I had to pick one and only... What if it's um, chin-ups? Yeah, that's going to engage a lot more biceps. So if I could only pick one of those to do the rest of my life, then I'd, I'd pick the, the chin-ups because that's going to just hit more body parts. More bang for your buck. Yeah. Okay. Burpees or push-ups? Man, from a cardiovascular standpoint, burpees for sure. From a chest development standpoint, I mean, you're kind of getting a little bit of that with the burpees because you kind of have a push-up in that movement. So I guess I guess burpees is just more, more all-inclusive there. What are some mistakes people make with push-ups? Um, they arch their back really bad when they do the push-ups or they, depending on how you position your hands, you can, you know, if you have a really close hand placement, you're going to engage a lot more tricep, kind of mimic a close grip tricep press or a close grip press rather. 
Whereas if you go much wider, you're going to engage more uh, chest. And then also depending on where your elbows are, if you have them splayed out, you can't really see me if people are just listening, but if it's like perpendicular to their, your torso versus more parallel, that's going to engage more shoulders or less. So just kind of making sure that your biomechanics are set and you're doing it properly is going to be important. Planks or sit-ups? Uh, planks, probably. As far as any abdominal exercise, I'm going to go with hanging leg raises, but if I had to pick between planks or sit-ups, I'd probably say planks. Okay, but hanging leg raises will be at the top. Okay, barbell bench press or dumbbell bench press? Which one's more effective? I like dumbbell more. Um, I can isolate each pec better and get more of a full range of motion as opposed to being kind of limited with just the bar. I've also injured my shoulder in the past and I'm able to kind of modify my, my dumbbell press in a way that's not taxing my shoulder. Uh, so I prefer it for that reason as well. And when you do dumbbell bench press, do you adjust the bench so that you're in a decline and then 90 degrees and then an incline? Do you hit different angles that way? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a, a bench that does do an incline and decline and a flat. So I'll oftentimes do, you know, a variation of that with every, every time I train chest. Do you prefer using barbells and dumbbells versus like a machine? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's all I've got here. I've got my own gym and we don't have any you know, crazy machines. We've got some cables, but we don't have all the machines. Uh, the machines are great from like a, you can, you can do some force reps with that. Like, so for bench press, for instance, with a machine, they oftentimes have like a, an assisted leg plate where like you can use that to get into position. So like if you burn out on a machine and then you use your legs to help get that weight back up and then just slowly do a negative with that rep, that's kind of advantageous that you can't really do that with a free weight. But generally speaking, I prefer the free weights for sure. Okay. Me too. For somebody who's not wanting to bodybuild, but they want to just be healthy and lose some body fat, would a fasted workout be better than a workout with a meal before the workout? It's interesting. It's kind of like a hot topic right now that people are debating. I think a lot of this really comes down to preference. Like, what, Which do you prefer? Which do you find more sustainable? Which one are you likely to adhere to the most? I prefer fasted workouts, especially in the context of a ketogenic state, because since fats take so much longer to absorb and be assimilated by the body for fuel, if you slam a big meal an hour before you work out, like you're not even going to make use of those calories. So I like to eat uh, you know, my evening meal and then consider that my pre-workout meal for the next day's workout. So I train in the morning, the meal that I have the night before is basically fueling that next morning's workout. So I prefer the fasted training. Me too. And when you work out in the morning, do you have like just a fatty cup of coffee and that's kind of like your pre-workout or is there anything else you have? Yeah, I wake up, I do some work, I do some you know, reading, things of that nature. And then I have usually two cups of coffee with a little bit of heavy cream in there. And that's pretty much it. Do you do any creatine? Yeah, creatine is good. Um, creatine is funny because it's it's not like it's going to make a huge pronounced difference, but there, I mean, creatine has been studied more than any other supplement. It is effective. It works. It just has a very minuscule impact and it takes a long time for that to be realized. But the compounding effect of consistently using creatine is advantageous. What about if you do a fasted workout, are you breaking the fast right after? Or are you waiting an hour or two and then breaking the fast? Uh, it kind of depends if I'm in a building phase or a cutting phase, but usually I'm eating within about two or three hours of training. Okay. And your book, it's available on Amazon, which is called Ketogenic Bodybuilding. Is there anywhere else you want them to go get the book or should they go to the Amazon page? Uh, yeah. So the Amazon page, uh, I've got a brick book bundle right now. So on ketobrick.com, they can get the book, a signed copy of the book with some bricks, uh, which is kind of a cool little bundle. And then 
there, there's a QR code in the book. So regardless of where you get it, you can go to ketogenicbodybuilding.com and there's like a companion spreadsheet, which is basically the spreadsheet I use for adjusting my clients' macros. And anybody that buys the book can download that and use it for free. Awesome. We'll put that link down below. Yeah. What was the most enjoyable part about writing this book and what should a reader expect to know and understand after they complete your book? Uh, I really like the mindset portion. So there's, there's basically like a, like seven phases, primary phases throughout the course of the book that guide people through a competition prep cycle. And then also transitioning into a healthy reverse diet uh, and into a surplus. But after each of those phases, I talked about the mindset associated with that phase and I'm a big stoic thinker. I'm, a, I'm all about mindset. So really taking time to reflect and, uh, you know, paint a, a clear picture as to what the, the mindset expectation should be with each of those phases was probably my most enjoyable portion of the book to write. So important. Exercise before you exercise. I, I know that you're a big stoic person because on your website, you have that book, Obstacle is the Way as a recommendation. Yeah, it's a good book, man. One of, I, mean, I listen to that on audio every time I do a prep for sure. That's awesome. And uh, what should the reader expect after they're done with the book? What kind of understanding do they have now? Yeah. So if, if somebody is following a ketogenic diet and they simply want to improve their composition, and by doing that, I mean, basically lose as much uh, body fat as possible while preserving as much muscle as possible. This book is literally the blueprint to do that because that is the primary goal of any bodybuilder any natural bodybuilder. And that is what I've been able to do with the ketogenic approach. And I basically take that and put it, you know, break it down word for word, how to do it properly in the book. So anybody that's wanting to improve their composition with the ketogenic approach, this is the book for them. I think it's really interesting, Robert, because bodybuilding in general, and you could tell me, you know, if you disagree, the bodybuilding industry in general is not necessarily a healthy field. No, not at all. All right. I mean, we think about the the goals of building muscle and performing in a competition is usually not synonymous with health and longevity. So what I feel like you did and are doing is you're making it all in one, meaning, yes, you could compete and be a bodybuilder, but still focus on health and longevity. Is that kind of your goal here? Yeah, 100%, man. Like when I look at bodybuilding, as it is kind of seen in mainstream, it's not healthy at all. Like most competitors have a very terrible relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll they'll diet down far too low. The hormones will tank. Their relationship with food suffers, and they binge afterwards. They put on a bunch of unnecessary body fat, and it's just it's just a vicious cycle. What I've tried to do is take what I've learned from a ketogenic diets over the years and apply that to the principles in natural bodybuilding, so that you can transition through these building and cutting phases in a very healthy, sustainable manner you know, with a proper implemented ketogenic diet. And at the end of the day, like stepping on stage and being sub 5% body fat isn't really healthy, no matter what diet you're following. But I feel like the the benefits you get from a psychological perspective and seeing how far you push, how far you can push your body is a worthwhile trade-off for that finite period of you know health that you're sacrificing. But I feel like uh, what I've been able to do with this book and just ketogenic diet ketogenic bodybuilding in general, is to mitigate the adverse effects that come from that last little bit of push uh, to get that lean. So that done in the most healthy, sustainable manner possible is what the goal of this book is for sure. Fantastic. So needed in the bodybuilder space. So I'm glad you wrote it. Robert, I want to acknowledge you, brother, for how you show up in this world, your education and constantly striving. You've made huge progress since we last spoke over a year ago when we first did the last interview on my show. And your book is out. So go get the book. We'll, we'll drop links for the book on Amazon, plus that, little, that bundle with the keto brick. 
uh, share your social media and anywhere else you, and your YouTube channel and all that. Yeah. So Keto Savage, everything. If you search that, you'll find me. Keto Brick, everything. And then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Search that, you'll find me. You, yeah. Your, your YouTube is actually, it's called Life Savage though, right? On YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Live Savage on YouTube. It was Keto Savage, but then we've, we've got a plan for a bunch of Live Savage you know, content. So I basically just changed that name uh, proactively. Yeah. Robert's got an amazing YouTube channel. So go subscribe to it. You do a really good job. I mean, your production values is top notch, which is... Uh, it used really... to be, man. Some of my older videos... Uh, like, yeah, me too. Back in the banks, <laughs> pretty rough. But yeah, now they're much better. You, you, you learn and you get better, which is what you did. So now you got a new studio, you got a nice mic, you got a great setup. So your audio, your visual is great, but also the information is amazing. So go subscribe to Robert's YouTube channel, the Keto Savage Podcast. It's still called Keto Savage, right? Did you change that yeah, one? Yeah, that's Keto Savage Podcast. Yeah. Keto Savage Podcast. And uh, go get Keto Bricks and all that. We'll drop links down below. So I want to say thank you, brother, for coming back to the show. I think this is super beneficial for everybody who listened and watched and just keep shining and changing as many lives as possible. We need your work, dude. Hey, man, well, I appreciate the opportunity. You are a you know beacon of light in this space as well. So I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak with you again. And if there's everything I could do for you, man, just let me know. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Robert. He's a good dude. I I love him. And if you want to get his product Keto Bricks and give it a shot, head to the link down below in the podcast notes. Go get his book. We'll also drop a link down below in the podcast notes. And go subscribe to his podcast, which is the Keto Savage Podcast. He's also on YouTube, Instagram. We'll put all of his social media handles and everything mentioned can be found in the podcast notes down below. Please share this episode with somebody you know. Please leave it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the show of the Keto Camp Podcast Show. I will see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.